Uh, welcome everybody to another edition of um, Conversations with Dr. Cowan and Friends. And uh, as probably everybody knows who's been listening, uh, some of the friends are old friends. In fact, uh, just yesterday I interviewed a friend from 30 years. And some of the friends, which is really an another really exciting part for me, uh, I've never actually met before. <laughs> So I think friends is maybe a loose term, but uh, let's say friends to be. And so today's guest, his name is Manel, and I'm going to let him talk about his background. But what I, and, and Manel, the other thing I say, I do a little introduction, and then I say to all my guests, if you hear anything that you didn't agree with, I would please ask you to correct whatever I said. Uh, but so obviously I, uh, people know that I've been interested in the heart for ever since, well, I had heart issues myself a little bit. So that got me a little bit interested. And then uh, as I started learning anthroposophical medicine, I heard that Rudolf Steiner said the three most important things for the evolution of humanity were number one, that people don't work for money, which is interesting because <laughs> I think he meant they should work for just work. And then if they get money, that's different. Uh, the second was an interesting comment, which was uh, that there are no such thing as sensory and motor neurons or nerves. All nerves are sensory nerves. The, the movement uh, is done by something else. Let's not get into that. But And the nerves sense the movement. Now, I'm not sure I could prove that, uh, and I don't really want to get into that right now. But it's an interesting thing to say. And, and I would just say I don't even know whether that's true or not. But it's an interesting way to look at it. And the third one, and mind you, we're talking about like actual humanity moving forward. So this is, these are big deals, was that the heart is not a pump. Now, it's, it's, I think it's important to clarify what we mean by that, or at least I think what he meant, which means a pressure propulsion device, which means that it's the walls of the heart which are contracting and therefore pushing the blood. Um, and it's not that the heart doesn't expand and contract. And it's not that even uh, Steiner compared it to a, a ram. So it's not even that there isn't some comparison one can make with uh, certain mechanical devices. But he was adamant uh, that this is important because um, if we see the world from a purely mechanistic, materialistic point of view, we will end up thinking the heart is a mechanical pump and we lose the essence of what it means to be alive or certainly a human being. So that's what I investigated. I mean, that was a sort of a statement and a theory. And so I spent 30 years trying to figure out whether it was correct or not. And if, if it wasn't correct, what moves the blood? Now, I've said many times, and I'm getting to now where I, your connection with this, that one of the best things about writing a book, for me anyways, 
is you come to a conclusion and then you write the book. And then if anybody ever reads it, that's when you start learning about the subject. Unfortunately, the book is already written and a lot of it is probably incorrect because now you've learned more about it in the year after the book than you ever knew before you wrote the book, or at least me. You didn't, I didn't realize that. I thought I knew that's why I could write the book. But one of the things I learned uh, was somebody sent me years ago studies, and, and I'm probably going to get this a little wrong, by a group of Spanish somebodies. Like, I don't know if they were cardiologists or cardiac surgeons or engineers or something. And they had an entirely different model of how the heart works. And it's, it's, I don't think identical, but it's very similar to what I came up with. And it changes everything about how we should approach and think about heart disease. And so I read all these papers that I could find and I was you know, fascinated by it, but I didn't really do anything about it. And then a few days ago, I get this email from you and saying that somehow you have a connection with these Spanish somebodies. I don't know who they are exactly. And that you could actually explain to me or explain to us what they were doing in its relation to what I was uh, saying. And by the way, you're not so sure that viruses cause disease anyways. <laughs> And I, I must say, I said to myself, I got to talk to this guy because I, I don't know the details. And then with the little we've talked about, I, I could tell you, I am about as excited for this next hour as I could possibly be. Uh, so I just want to uh, welcome you and thank you for doing this. And I would love to hear, uh, first of all, you know, your background, who you are, how you got into this, and then you know, I think there is a connection with this Spanish group. So what have you guys been doing? What have you found? What does this have to do with the heart and energy? And what in the heck is the heart doing? And that's probably about 10 hours there. So we'll try to keep it to an hour. Yeah. And anyways, welcome and thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. My name is Manuel Bellister. Bellister, B-A-L-W-S-T-E-R. I'm from Spain. In fact, I was born in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, wow. I have a double nationality, but I live now in Barcelona at present. I'm 70 years old. I have been working in internal medicine and especially in cardiology for many years as a regular doctor. Um, I trained in cardiology in Barcelona, then moved to London for four years. There, I was involved in the uh, two-dimensional echocardiography lab in, in, in the National Heart Hospital in, in uh, London for four years. Then I came back to Spain and I was involved in a, a modernistic hospital, Hospital de San Pau in Barcelona, which is, is a piece of art. It's not protected. Uh, and uh, as a cardiologist, I was, I was involved there as a cardiologist doing what? At that time, a crazy surgeon thought that it was a good thing to transplant people in Spain. And he designed and uh, got to organize the first transplantation program in Spain, which is, was in Barcelona. 
And I was the guy, the cardiologist behind him to organize the pre-op, post-op, which you, you know that is a very complicated thing because it involves a lot of people in the hospital. So that was, that was my beginning as a cardiologist. And it, it obviously involves a lot of understanding of cardiac function and physiology, I would imagine. Yes. Although essentially a, a transplant program is better run by internists and people who have a, have a broad knowledge of what immunology is, what oncology is, uh, you know. Yeah. Because essentially, with work, you work with immunosuppression. You immunosuppress in order to, to stop this, this very aggressive attitude of the immune system to get rid of the heart, which has just trans been transplanted. Right. Okay? So, uh, and in fact, one of my best corporate uh, pupils was an internist. Okay. And she ran the lab, the, 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 the clinical the clinic aspect of yeah. transplantation. So that means uh, invo uh, getting involved in patients with heart failure, okay? So yeah. hearts, which as you said, don't, don't pump, okay? And uh, how do you tackle this? Okay, uh, some of these people have a, a download, down, uh, how, how do you say? A progressive course to death. <clears throat> and uh, really, transplantation program is, is fantastic to interrupt this 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 uh, fate. So it works. Um, but some patients cannot have uh, the appropriate heart to be transplanted because the number of hearts are limited. Okay, so we were left with many people who had heart failure, but did not have a chance to get transplanted. Could you just describe for us, uh, for those maybe who don't know, what do you mean by heart failure? Heart failure is where the, the heart decreases its pumping ability. And you can see this clinically because the, the patient gets short of breath, uh, gets uh, swollen legs, okay? And uh, with, uh, with the conventional echocardiography, you can see that the heart does not pump adequately. Yeah. Okay. But is there a different word you could use than pump for that? Yeah, yeah, we'll go into that because it's very interesting. Yeah. So okay. then what to do? And there was a, a Brazilian a guy, Batista, who devised a surgical uh, solution for hearts which didn't pump well. And that is make a cut of the heart and reduce its volume. And by the Laplace law, this hearts pump it better. Okay. Uh -huh. And so, yeah, okay, never mind. Go ahead. And we started to, to do surgery in these patients and it worked. But at, at one stage in a conference in the Canary Islands, I met a genius is, uh, who was called Francisco Torrent Quasque. Yeah. He, he was a cardiologist from Alicante, from the southern Spain. And uh, he was talking about a new anatomy and function of the heart, the helical heart. And uh, this was the first time uh, I heard this conference. 
What was so the I word you used? Helical heart. It's a helical. Helical, helical heart. Yeah, got it's it. It's a double. In fact, it's a double helix. Okay. Yeah. So I, I didn't know what he was talking about, frankly. So uh, after the conference, I approached him, and um, I asked him if this architecture of a double helix is so important. What are we doing cutting the heart as a melon? You know. Yeah. I would not, not disturb anything important. Yes, it's a, it's a disaster. Okay, what we'll do, I told him, is that every time we have a heart, a, a transplantation uh, operation, we'll call you. He was five hours drive from Barcelona. You come to our hospital, okay? You take the, the spoiled heart out, Okay, and then he what he did is he put it in a in a he boiled the heart for thirty minutes in order to soften the heart, and with with his hands he was able to unroll the heart. Wow! In a very fascinating way, way, and that is what what he had done for forty years. And this you is know, after and, he boiled the heart. Yeah. And then with his, his hands, not with a, a knife, with his hand, he, he in, in a very ingenious way, uh, he unrolled the heart in a systematic way. And if you unroll the heart, at one end of the heart is the pulmonary artery. The pulmonary artery suddenly opens, creates a bend, this bend flows. In the middle of the bend, there's a 180 degree fold. The bend follows and it closes at the aorta. So in the middle of the uh, pulmonary artery in the aorta, there's this bend which folds itself 180 degrees. Fascinating. And he could reassemble the heart in such a way. So nature has provided that with a double helix heart which is the, the perfect pump. As there's no such thing as right ventricle and left ventricle. The heart is one single muscle which has been rewrapped in such a way as to perform both functions. Wow. So right. this, is, this is really, you know, it's mind blogging. You know? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but the contact, he was, um, a lonely wolf, you know, he, he never. Um, and how many never... years ago was this for, for you? Uh, 80s. 80s. 1980. Yeah. Yeah. Long time ago. So then we, we had him uh, in Barcelona for, uh, and we discussed with him. <coughs> we stimulated him. And for the first time, he got a group of people who tried to understand what he was talking about. Okay, yeah. and what we did is get the engineers uh, of the university, the technical universities in, in uh, Barcelona to first to track down the, the fibers, the orientation of the fibers of the heart, yeah. which has been a mystery right. for centuries, okay? And then we modelized this. We have a supercomputer super center here in Barcelona. So eventually we got to know exactly the arrangement, 
the 3D arrangement of the fibers. Yeah. Okay. And this, this anatomy, the double helix, creates a heart which does not pump this way, but it's torsion and untorsion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, like a towel. Yeah? Squeezing out a towel. Squeezing right? out a towel. Well, that's impressive because that changes everything. Yeah. Did this have yeah. anything to do with, uh, you, I'm sure you know the Scottish guy, Pettigrew, who did his yeah. own dissection yeah. of the heart. Exactly. Yeah. It's just him that uh, he talked about the Gordian knot. Yeah. And then nobody, nobody at that time, or Pettigrew, nobody knew exactly how, what was going on with this fiber going up and down right. and from the right to left, uh, you know. And finally, this guy discovered that very simply that the heart is a double helix and you have to follow the fibers first coming up to the apex down the heart and then up again to understand how the fibers are organized. Yes. Of course, this is change in anatomy and function. Yes. And that changes the film every, uh, from, from scratch. So yes. you have to, you know, tabula rasa. <laughs> right. And re rethink the heart. Okay. Yes. Great. In that, that in a way it's what we did. The first thing that, that fell down is the electro, uh, ECG electrocardiographic interpretation of the waves. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And this we published four years ago with Jim Oshman, which is a master of the of energy medicine. And in a paper, which I think it will be a classical paper because the interpretation of the electrocardiogram is the other way around. Can you describe okay. that a little bit? Yeah, when you see an electrocardiogram, you see one small wave, round wave, P wave. P wave, which, yeah. Which uh, corresponds to the atrial uh, contraction. Then you So hang a, on a minute. Are you saying that fundamentally then there is no atria and ventricles? The, the atria and ventricles come together in the human heart. The atria from one part of the circular structure, the circulation, and the ventricles from another part, and they get united. So without, with your hands, you can, and with the heart uh, boiled, you can separate very easily without uh, scissors or scalps, the atria from the ventricles. It's simple. Uh, yeah. But the ventricles, you cannot, because the ventricles are a single band. Uh-huh. So there are- so The single band is the, is the ventricles, okay? Yeah. And the atria are separate from that. Are separate. It's another ball game. Yeah, got it. Okay. okay. Now, uh, as I, I was telling you, uh, the electrocardiographically, first P wave, and this is, then there is a pause, just a silence, electrical yeah. silence. <coughs> Electricity does not move. And then you have a, sp a spike, okay, which is the QRS, it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Okay which is this spike that you see on the television. Huh? And then, which is the activation of the heart, they say. And then you have a broad 
wave, which is the T wave, T wave. Yeah. It was thought that was the reversal of the activation, relaxation, okay? Yeah. That's what was written in the, in the electrographic books for many years. Um, the one thing that didn't match is that activation, this spike is so small that we thought it is impossible that the heart not only moves quietly, the heart does not do this immediately. Okay? So you cannot contract the heart like this. It's a movement which takes time. Yeah. For example, half a second. Okay? Yeah. Now, magnetically, how does this correspond to the mechanics of the heart? So you have the electrocardiogram and the mechanics. And we realize that the mechanics of the heart, the contraction of the heart, and the first bit of relaxation are active mechanically. And this, they correspond exactly with the T wave. So the T waves, the T wave is the magnetic counterpart of the mechanical work done by the heart. The, the squeezing. Yes. The squeezing, this one part of the squeezing when you, the, the heart, the, the blood comes out, but a part of the squeezing also takes place when you de-squeeze, okay? When you, when you dilate your heart, the first part of dilatation of the heart, which sucks the, the blood, is active, it's not passive. So there's a, the first step, is an active sucking of the blood yes, from yes. the venous circulation exactly. into the heart. Exactly. So uh, this, this, this is the, the first, the first uh, project we did with, with Jim Does that with... sucking part correlate with any of the parts of the EKG? Uh, the T wave, the, fine, the, the end of the T wave. The end of the T wave. Yes. So there's a suction first, and that fills the heart, and the, and the heart expands. This, this. exactly. When and you then, have, when the heart a... contracts, it, it coincides. The contraction of the heart coincides with the T wave, and the last bit of the T wave, the tail, corresponds to the sucking of the heart, which is re-expansion. Okay, the heart yeah. contracts and expands. Contracts and extend, okay? So this first extension part is active, okay? And it incorporates in the T wave. So this was the first surprise, you know, that we are wrong in terms of the interpretation of the electrogram because the physiology of the heart and the anatomy have changed. Yes. The second well, step- They haven't changed, we just understand them better now. Yeah. <laughs> the second thing is that the, 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 that genius, that genius uh, uh, once told me 20 years ago, Manel, uh, the conduction of the electricity from the atria to the ventricle is wrong. So why is it wrong? Yes, because electricity never stops in the atria as if uh, 
it was taking a, a cup of coffee before it, it enters the ventricles. So the issue of the atrioventricular conduction in the face of this observation cannot be understood. And in All fact, right. Dutch physicians 30 years ago said, said the same things. These guys had uh, whales studied when they passed through the, the channel. Okay, they, they, how do you say, they, they, with, uh, they put electrocardiograms on the, on the whales. Yeah. Okay. And you have a whale electrocardiogram. Well, the pause is different. How can it be that it's, if, it, if it's electricity, electricity should be for everybody or every species. And yet different species have this pause between atrial conduction and ventricular conduction different. Yeah. How can this be? And this is, this is one other, another mystery. Another mystery is how does the, the heart get started? What's the, it's the, it's, there's a piece of a small, in the atria, you have this um, sinoatrial node, okay? And there are 60,000 small cells, which, which are the pacemaker cells, the cells that initiate the electrical electricity, which apparently did this in a spontaneous way. They just decide that a, a pump is needed, uh, you know, to, to start the, right. the electrical part, no? And uh, with, with James Hoshman, uh, we've hypothesized that fields, ener energy fields came to interact with these pacemaker cells, which have on top of them an antennas, transmembrane proteins that had been discovered by an Italian, an Italian group in Milano. And the, the antennas are the ones who, who that get the signal coming from the universe and via Faraday's law, they convert magnetic to electrical fields, the atria are activated, then they stop, the electricity stops there, waits until a concatenated second field is coming to stimulate the ventricles. Now, this was a hypothesis, no? Yeah. One, one field for the atria, one for the ventricles, okay. And that could explain that uh, that pause is really, really reflects the anatomic separation between atrias and ventricles. Got it. There's no such thing. Now, can, how can we prove this? Well, let, this let, me, let me stop you for a minute and see if I, 
see if I get this right, because it might help my listeners here. So uh, number one, we, we figured out that the anatomy of the heart is not what we used to think. Um, mm -hmm. Then we, you looked at the EKG to find out whether the electrical conduction was correct as we understand it. And you found this anomaly that um, how can the electricity stop and have this pause, which is the, uh, the, the, that dead space between the P wave and the QRS wave, uh, spike. Mm -hmm. So there must be some other explanation. So there is, it sounds like there is a sinoatrial node, meaning it's a group of, of electrically charged or pacemaker type of cells. The hypothesis is that it has uh, antenna that go through the membrane that pick up signals from the outside. And there's a separate uh, electrical conduction pathway, one of the atrium, and a separate conductional pathway that goes from the SA node to the ventricle. Yeah. And the difference in the conduction is where that pause comes in. Exactly. The only how, thing, how can you prove this? Yeah. This, this was a hypothesis. The only thing I'm going to suggest before you get into that is yeah. uh, at some point, uh, you, we would all want to read Harold Hillman. I don't know if you know that name. He was a Hiddle? Hillman, Harold Hillman. He was a British biologist. And he, what, he, the importance of him is he didn't believe in any of the anatomic structures uh, until they were proven, which is fair enough. Yeah. And so he ends up uh, questioning whether there is such a thing as transmembrane proteins or receptors, because when you realize how they found those, it's pretty strange business. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it could be, and I'll just, I don't want to get into this too much, but mm -hmm. it could be that, um, that, that the receiver is actually the coherence of the water in those cells, that they have a special structure of water, and that is actually the antenna masquerading as a as a transmembrane protein receptor could be yeah. that's a little bit splitting hairs but i just wanted to yeah yeah i think i think uh, the the structure of water can provide an antenna perfectly yeah right so and create an electrical charge out of exactly that. yeah great okay so how do you prove that how do you prove that? Well, there's a disease you might be aware of, which is the wolf Parkinson white. Yes. In fact, they told me I had it at one point. Okay. So in wolf Parkinson white, you don't have the pores. Okay. Yeah. Because the atria and the ventricle go one after the other. There's no pores. Yeah. But some of these patients have arrhythmias, re-entry arrhythmias, you know. Okay. Yeah. And one solution, which is a very good solution for these patients who are symptomatic, is to, to cut, by rather frequency, to cut this anomalous muscular band, small fiber that exists between the atria and the ventricle. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so that is the, the anatomical basis of the dysfunction of this disease. This band is called the Kent bundle. The Kent bundle unites the atrium and the ventricle. And, and, and the electricity then flows from one to the other without any stop. Yeah. There's no stop. Yeah. Until you burn the Kent bundle, bundle. And then immediately in two or three beats, P wave and QRS again, they're separated. Uh -huh. So that is, the, that is the proof, the clinical proof that atrium and ventricles are disconnected. Yes. First. Because that, that bundle isn't there in normal people, no, right? No, no, no. It's yep. So if it was if it was if you can interrupt if the if the if that pause is created by cre by stopping that bundle, by burning the bundle, then you know that it isn't there normal. Exactly. Yeah, got it. So uh, the concatenation of fields. It seems, seems that is the underlying uh, mechanism of first activation of the atria, then activation of the ventricles, okay. So what do you mean by concatenation of the fields? In, in, yeah, in, 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 in quantum mechanics, you have, for example, the muscle contraction, and this, is, this has been well written by, by Mai Wan Ho. There are seven, several steps seven, exactly, actually seven steps of activation of the muscle, quantum, okay? So when I read this, I thought, okay, perhaps a muscle, the cardiac muscle for this electrical purpose only needs two, okay? It's how the timing of the appearance of the fields doing their job the electrical job. Got it. Okay. Now, what does this mean? That means that we're we're now getting into the field concept. Okay. Yeah. Field concept is Faraday's law. Okay. If you you have a, a copper wire, okay, connected to a voltmeter, and you you stick a, without touching the wire, you put a magnet, yep. the voltmeter, signal. So clearly the sum field, field is a, a term coined by Faraday. This field, like a magnetic field, creates electrical movement and a potential that you can, can be detected. Yes. Okay. In, in cardiology, we have the electrocardiogram. But this and a magnetocardiogram, which is identical. Identical. Okay. And we have an electromyogram, an electroencephalogram. So those are the electrical counterparts of a magnetic field that has been there previously. Okay. Okay. Now, then I, I turn to. I made a turn, uh, uh, um, I made a sudden turn in my life. 
Uh, I was chairman of Medicina University and head of service. And uh, in a way, I decided to move out of the hospital environment. This was how many years ago? This was 15 years ago. Yeah. And uh, I found myself as a cardiologist in an outpatient setting. Now, what does, does a cardiologist see in the outpatient setting? Palpitation, chest pain, you know, breathlessness, uh, in patients who work actively, uh, and they know it's, it's anxiety, and kept asking me, please relieve me from my anxiety, but don't give me pills. Got it. Because I work heavily, you know, I'm a truck driver or I'm a lawyer and I cannot, you know, I please no antidepressive treatment, no sleep pills, etc. <coughs> well, that that realmente posed me a problem because I came frustrated out of my patient, outpatient clinic. I didn't know what to do for these patients. I yeah. was very happy when I was out of the hospital because the impression is that, that I, I did something useful for my patients. In the outpatient setting, this is frustration. Yeah. Because 90% of the, you don't see organic patients. You don't see patients with heart disease there. You, you see patients with normal hearts, but has, have all these problems of palpitations, arrhythmia, chest pain, etc. Yeah. And it's anxiety. But what is anxiety? Nobody knows. Yeah. Okay. In the medical textbooks, up to some years ago, uh, an anxiety crisis was dealt with in the psychiatric environment yeah but the ordinary anxiety of most of the uh, that most of the population have suffered at some stage in their lives uh, has an explanation so then i started to to wonder if there's anything that can be useful to these patients at that time i was married with a very famous soprano who, who didn't know a word of medicine, but cured everybody. This was your wife? My former wife, yes. Former wife, yeah. And uh, she had a you know, bed and his friends, families and singers and so came in a disaster and anxious, no? And uh, she took them to a small room and in an hour's time, these people left in a fantastic way. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Fantastic. So I was so shocked, you know. I said, what's, what's, what are you doing inside? Oh, it's, it's an energy medicine. What do you mean energy medicine? Uh, I've, I worked with medicine. I became chairman of medicine at one yeah. stage. Right. <laughs> no mention about energy, except the ATP. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's energy that's it's around your body, you know. Sorry, but uh, I don't know. Where, where could I learn this? And in Barcelona, there was a guy, a brilliant guy, who came from California. 
Jim Fail, and he had learned from his teacher, um, who for 30 years had been in India, and he collected the written statements of how to heal with your hands. Polarity Therapy, two books that appeared in 1958-60, okay. Very complicated books, difficult to read, very wise, but it's, it's mingled, you know, it's, it's a disorder, it's not non-pedagogy, yeah. but it's there, the information is there. So then I, I got into the course and started to a bit understand what's going on with this energy. The first thing I did, which was the, the cleverest thing I could do, is take my curriculum, my CV, and, and put it in, and stay out of the room. Yeah. So, so I could, <laughs> I could uh, you know, um, absorb all these new concepts because the yeah. language is different. It's, it's totally different. Totally different, yeah. And uh, I started to practice medicine, this energy medicine with my patients, anxiety patients with who, who at least now they had a solution to their problems. And what did you actually do with them? In five minutes, putting your hands in uh, special places of the body, you can reactivate the energy circuits. And everybody it, can do it. Everybody can do it. I, I mean, uh, I'm no special guy, no, no intuitive, not, but you realize that with your hands, you can manipulate the energy. So to move the energy, and it's not that you cure the patient, but you move the energy, which is, which is the information needed for the body to reorganize itself. So you could even say the energy, what your work, so in other words, previously you said the, the impulse for the electrical activity and therefore the activity of the heart was connection to this field, this energy exactly. field. Exactly. So you're essentially changing the energy field to give the activation a new exactly. impulse. For example, as a cardiologist, the, the heart field essentially is dependent on the fourth chakra. Chakras yeah. are the Hindu terms of energy wheels, which is a vortex of energy. And if you close your chakra, because you've had a broken heart, you know, you had a yeah. deception, loneliness, uh, frustration, somebody around you has died or your dog has died, you, you, you close the energy field around the heart, yeah. which organizes the, at least electrically, all the conduction system of the heart, the atrium, the ventricle, etc. So then the heart becomes disorganized yeah. because the information comes from the field. And, and, and you've closed the field. There's no proper information that arrives to the antennas we were talking about. Right. And then you have AFib. Exactly. Yeah. Got it. So then you, with your hands, you can open the chakras 
and arrhythmias, chest pain, anxiety, all disappear in two or three sessions. And that wow. is very impressive. Yeah. And that, that is part of my research now, okay? With engineers, mathematicians, uh, people uh, who have nothing to do with the medical world, but technically they're very able to handle signals and, and analyze signals. Yeah? And the first thing with it is what happens before and after an energy session therapy. And it is impressive because the, the nervous system, the autonomous nervous system is put to sleep. The what is the autonomic nervous system? Exactly, it's put to sleep. Really? So in, in, in 20 arms. minutes, in 20 minutes, you can, you know, a patient who has come to your office with a important anxiety ends up with a, a, a deep still a state of well-being. And that is what we have proven with these engineers. Proven in what way? How do you prove that? <laughs> you take the signals of the heart, the heart math people here around you has done, you know, as you know, yeah. 30 years of research, impressive. So uh, we, we, we designed the software ourselves and uh, to include another ways of um, analyzing the cardiac beat mechanically. Yeah. And what, what we have, we just discovered that is when we expand the field, the magnetic field of the, not of the heart, but of the older body, the heart becomes more efficient, even in patients who have normal heart. And what do you mean by efficient? What's That means what's... that the area under the curve of the T-wave, if you measure, we measure the area under yeah. the curve, becomes shorter after the, the uh, magnetic therapy. Would that so, be co correlated with the, the squeezing is more- Efficient. Efficient. Yes. Do you see that in a ejection fraction? Uh, we have not done this. Yeah. Because you, know, it's, you, you need on, an online, reliable, reproducible ejection yeah. fraction. I mean, yeah. you know that there's a lot of variations. Yeah, right. So, but it should be blood pulse. We had a pulse, arterial pulse. Okay, and this the arterial pulse increases, and it's shorter. So the T wave becomes more precise in a sense. It's coherent. Coherent. Yeah. Coherent. That's... Okay, which is interesting because those are people who are anxious and nothing else, but have a normal heart. Yeah. So our next step is go to the hospital, to my former hospital, and see if patients who are, with, uh, have heart failure, could improve only as a result of expanding the, the, the magnetic field of the, of the body. And do you have any any information about that? Any guesses or anything? No, we should, well, I think it, they will improve. Yeah, I've seen patients with heart failure improve dramatically with these maneuvers. 
So it's a matter of getting this, the figures out, etc. Yeah, it's, it's very clear. And now that is when I read your book on the heart. On the heart is not not a pump. I think um, you're right. Steiner was right, and uh, uh, if you have a pump, if you have a pump, and you have a hose, if you if you you turn on the the, yeah. the pump, the hose, curved hose opens. Yes. Up. Yes. Yeah. So the angle opens. Now we have a pump. And we have the aortic arch, yeah, which is a hose. Right. What happens with the aortic arch when the heart squeezes out the blood? Right. It does not open; it closes. It closes. So uh, this, you know, that has been been uh, talked about for a long time. What do your cardiologist colleagues say when you bring that up? I don't bring that out. <laughs> you must, you must do once. It. Don't must try have... to convince anybody. Yeah, I can <laughs> see it. Have you, even once, you haven't said, hey, what do you think about this? No. no. But some of them, some of them now uh, have, um, as a result of the papers, are more convinced than a few years ago. So right. it's, it's a matter of, you know, that we are so many years studying uh, medicine a certain way. Yeah. Now comes a guy and tell, no, this is, you know, it's not, is, is it, you think it is. So, and I'm, I'm not doing this because I know it's no, it's no use. Yeah. If, you if you don't convince yourself, nobody, nobody believes you. Yeah, got it. So your next project is to, Take people with sick hearts. Yes. And heart failure. Heart failure, maybe unstable angina or yeah. something like that. Yeah, because uh, my former team deals with cardiomyopathy, that is, yeah. hearts with, uh, with that not, not pump. And there are two groups one, awaiting transplantation, which is the severe group, and the other one, which is chronic heart failure. Yeah. Okay. So these cardiomyopathy, they essentially don't squeeze properly. Yes. Yeah. Now, why? And they have a disconnection from the field. Yes. In some of them, in some of them, actually, what I have done uh, this last this last years, it treat them energetically. And you know that there are striking responses in terms of function of ejection fraction. Yeah. Why is that? If you ask them, since when did you have this heart failure? Oh, my, my brother died. Oh, my, uh, my, son, my son had an accident and I thought he would make it, you know? Or my dog died. Yeah. He was my, he was my best friend, you know? Yeah. And then at that stage, the field, the cardiac field, contracted and did not energize the muscle. Yeah. So the muscle is disinformed. Yeah. It's out of reach yeah. of this constant bombardment of information that keeps the heart going. Yeah. The heart or, or anything or the muscle or whatever. 
So in other words, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with the muscle. It's just that the field it's exposed to has been blocked or distorted yes, yes. or something. That was one of the paradox, you know, why does the muscle not work if the muscle is, from the point of view of anatomy, intact? Yeah. Why? Why? And there's no disease of the muscle. Nothing. There's no disease? Yeah. Got it. And it's, it, I think in general, it's that um, we have this idea that it's, it, it goes down to we believe, we in normal medicine, that consciousness arises out of substance. Mm -hmm. Somehow the brain tissue secretes thoughts or mm -hmm. feelings. Yeah. And that's incorrect. Yes. It's the other way around. The consciousness yeah. creates uh, physical you know, the physical structure is essentially congealed consciousness, if yeah. you want to. Bef before before you, we have a physical structure, organic structure, before, might be a leaf or a tree or a, a human being, before you get a polarity axis. Yeah. A 3D structure. Yeah. Okay. And then organically, as a mold, the, or, the organism adapts to the mold. Yeah, but fills first, in the... First is the mold. Sexton Burr <laughs> had this idea many years ago. Yeah. And he, he published a, a very fascinating paper, which it's, it's all there. It's the 30, 40, 50. So it's, he wrote this many years ago. What was the name? Harold Sexton Burr. Yeah. Yale University. Got it. Okay. So um, he called health fields, life fields. Yeah. Okay. And he demonstrated that every aspect of the human body being uh, proliferation, apoptosis, form, function, depended on fields. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, so, this, this was an amazing start. I was correct that this was one of the more fascinating hours that I can remember spending. And I, I'm only going to extend an invitation that we keep in touch because okay. I think we, I will be in touch and, and we'll see where the next step is going to be. Thank uh, you very much, Tom. Yeah, because you, you're doing some great stuff and you, it's, it's just really inspiring to hear. So I appreciate you taking the time and we will be in touch. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.